Uh, it's kind of a, a neat little story. It was Palm Sunday, but because of a sore throat, five-year-old Sammy stayed home from church with a babysitter. And when the family returned home, they were carrying several palm branches with them, and Sammy inquired as to what they were for. Sammy had never seen them before. Well, people held them up over Jesus' head as he walked along, his dad explained. Well, little Sammy said, wouldn't you just know it? The one Sunday I miss church, Jesus shows up. Well, we're praying today that Jesus shows up. I believe he already has in our worship. Now, you would say to me, Pastor, palm branches is usually what I would see, I thought would be all over the church, or at least you would explain that. It's all about palm branches. We've heard about Palm Sunday all our lives. We know about Palm Sunday. And you say to me, stones? Why are we looking at stones? Well, you notice that when Jesus was coming in in that triumphal entry, the Pharisees told him to tell the people around him, and especially his disciples, to shut up, basically. Be quiet. And Jesus replies in the last verse of our passage in Luke 19, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. This is Jesus' final week, and he's on this road to Jerusalem from Bethpage, and he knows what is coming ahead of him, and yet he chooses to enter and go to the city of Jerusalem knowing his hour had come. Remember all throughout scripture, he always said, my hour has not yet come. Now we're seeing that Jesus has said, my hour has come. And so he fully knows what he is walking towards. There is a great crowd. I mentioned at the beginning, Psalm 118. These were the processional psalms that they would begin to say on this great celebration of Passover as they would march and walk up towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem was so much higher, and they would all begin this great pilgrimage of walking towards Jerusalem because it was the Passover. It was the Jewish month of Nisan, which is our April. And Jews were celebrating their salvation through the Passover. And so as they traveled to celebrate it, there was this great crowd and throng of people. Because originally, usually Jerusalem had about twenty to 30,000 people. Imagine this now. During Passover, it was 150,000. And so there was this great crowd of people. This atmosphere already is electric with excitement. And as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, the whole crowd of disciples begin joyfully, as the word says, to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they have seen and witnessed. But as we see today that Jesus is for the crowd this celebrity ticket. The people had an agenda The people were wanting Jesus to bring that outcome for their agenda. You see, it's like a ticket. When you take a ticket and go somewhere, once you use the ticket, the ticket has no value and you discard it. Jesus was their ticket, they believe. Jesus was going to come. He was going to be that Jewish king that they needed that would overthrow the Romans. And so they give him this king's welcome, waving palm branches and victory of triumph. It was a nationalistic symbol that they were doing by waving these palm branches 
because they did it even in the Maccabean revolt so many years earlier. And Simon Maccabeus had a similar welcome, the historians tell us, as he entered the city. What was different was he was entering the city to take over the Greek rule. And here now they thought Jesus is entering in order to take over Roman rule. And so they shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, which the actual meaning of the word Hosanna is, please, Lord, save us. Please, Lord, save us. Now hear this. This is the celebration of Passover, of Israel's salvation, how God is their Savior, God, once a year, you know, they're going and they're celebrating Passover. And so they're pleading with Jesus, Lord, please save us. That's what they're saying as they say Hosanna. And they quote Psalm 118, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Did they really know what was about to happen? Did they know what was really going on? Probably not. God in his sovereignty knew that Jesus was entering Jerusalem And as he entered Jerusalem, it would result in him dying on the cross for sin once and for all. And Jesus' sacrificial death would bring peace, not just to the Jews, but peace for all mankind, between man and God, for all who would put their faith in Christ. They didn't really get to see the real Jesus here. They were seeking Jesus for all the wrong reasons. My friends, I often see and hear of people who even still today will seek Jesus for the wrong reasons. They'll seek Christianity for the wrong reasons. They'll seek church for the wrong reasons. Has Jesus met your expectations? Well, often we'll find people that they like the idea at the beginning, but when things don't quite go the way they expect it to go, they will turn their backs and reject him or reject the church. See, as long as the church does it my way, I'm okay. As long as Jesus answers my prayers the way I expect him to answer my prayers, I'm okay. But the moment that Jesus or faith, or the church doesn't meet my expectations, often we respond like much of this crowd in rejection. Let me say something very clearly today. Jesus did not come and will not meet your expectations. That's not what this is about. This journey of faith is not about him coming and bowing to you and meeting your needs and your wants and your wishes and your expectations. And if that's what you've thought, then you've been mistaken. And so we know the crowds eventually will leave because Jesus doesn't meet their expectations because they're so fickle. And one moment they are in this ecstasy shouting, Hosanna! And the next, and within days, they're shouting, crucify him. What is it today that I expect Jesus to do for me? What is it today that I expect faith to do for me, or the church, or church family, or Christians to do for me? You see, often we can be mistaken that he is indeed the King of kings and the Lord of lords who is worthy of our praise. 
no matter if he does nothing for me ever again. It's not about my expectations. It's about who he is. And then we see the Pharisees see Jesus as competition. <laughs> not everyone was praising that day. The Pharisees hear the people proclaiming that Jesus is Messiah, the King, and so they tell Jesus, they tell him to rebuke. Some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. You see, the truth of it is, <clears throat> any good rabbi would. Because what these people were saying in normal circumstances would have been heresy, would have been blasphemous because the fact is them going around and saying to a rabbi that you're, you're the Messiah, then you need, to, you need to shut up. You need to tell your disciples to be quiet, master. But Jesus knew he was the Messiah. Jesus knew he was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So, of course, he doesn't say to his disciples, shh, be quiet. The Pharisees saw Jesus as a threat. Jesus threatened to take away all that they longed for and all that they had, and they're not people who like to embrace change. Ooh, that sounds familiar. They long for the praise of men, and Jesus was getting their praise, they thought. They desired the best seats in the synagogues, and Jesus was getting a hero's welcome. They gave tithes and prayed openly so people would marvel at them and notice at their holiness and their spiritual works. And Jesus was here stealing their thunder. And so they sought to kill him. All the attention they normally would receive during the Passover season as all this throng of people would come into the holy city now is directed to Jesus. They were the religious elite. They were the most important people, they thought, during this season, and they were the ones who were there in the most important holy city of Jerusalem. And Jesus crashed their party. And they're not impressed. My friends, self-righteousness and sin, the sin of pride, blinded their eyes. And I want to say to you today, if we're not careful, this is the attack of the enemy that he can do it often, that pride can get in the way. The sin of pride can get in our way too. When God is wanting us to come before him in humility... Oh, uh, one thing we've seen through COVID is self-centeredness and selfishness and pride. I have seen things that I thought I would never see. And yes, it's going on in society, but dare I say that even in the church of Jesus Christ, we've seen so many things. We'll hear people say, well, how come they're the ones who got to ask to do this and I didn't get asked? I think in the church we should be doing it this way. Why aren't they doing it the way that I think they should do it? You know, I, I'm the one who's been faithful. I'm the one who continues to show up week after week. Where are the rest of them? My friends, it's the same heart condition, if we're not careful, that we see here in the Pharisees. Pride is a terrible thing that will blind us 
and prevent us from really experiencing Jesus and seeing Jesus for who he truly is. See, the Pharisees refuse to identify Jesus as king. It was a choice. They refused to accept Jesus. And if we're not careful, sin and pride can get in the way from us really seeing Jesus. Sin can blind us uh, like the eyes of the crowd that didn't fully understand what kind of king he was. Sin can blind the eyes of the Pharisees, and I just want to praise God today that unless God opens our eyes, we are blinded, but praise God, he has opened our eyes to see. That was one of the praises at the beginning there, when you think about it, that we know, well, the only reason why we know is because the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes to see the truth, and the truth has set us free, because we too were walking around blind and full of pride. Today, we see that Jesus is the true king in this passage on this Palm Sunday. Jesus wouldn't stop what was going on, even if he could. Why is that so important here? I want to tell you that actually this is a fulfillment of Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That was prophesied about Jesus 500 years before, and all the prophets throughout eternity spoke about the reality of who this Christ was and what he was supposed to do and what kind of king he was. And so he says, you know, if, if, if this doesn't happen around us, if you're not going to recognize me today, if you're not going to praise me, well, the very stones will praise me. See, again, we have a choice on Palm Sunday, don't we? Since the beginning of time, since creation, all of creation, we use this word in Greek, teleos, but there is this goal, and all of creation has been moving towards this climax, towards this goal. And in this moment, Jesus says, this is what I came for. This is what it's all been about. This is what I've been teaching in the Gospels about the kingdom, that this is the kingdom of God is at hand. Therefore, repent. I am the king. There is a new kingdom coming and being birthed. There is the reality of a new exodus, that God is doing a new thing, and you're looking backwards at the Passover and what God did for Moses and brought them out of Egypt, and I'm telling you that God is here today in your midst doing a new thing, and not just providing a king for the Jews and Israel, but providing the king of kings and the Lord of lords of all time. This is what the ancient prophets spoke about. And here is the fulfillment. So I'm not going to stop what God is doing in this moment because all of history has been bringing me to this day. And so Jesus rode on the donkey to fulfill the prophecy. He was God's anointed king that had come. See, the crowd was correct in their praise. They were just wrong in their hearts. Back, I mean, sometimes it helps us to understand, back in the day, a donkey in Palestine was not seen as 
a stubborn beast of burden like we see often with donkeys today. It was still seen as a very noble animal. What would happen is a king only rode on a horse when they were riding in or out of battle. It, it, it was when the king was at war, he would ride a horse, a stallion. Isn't it interesting that when you go into the book of Revelation, it says there, what is Jesus riding in the book of Revelation? A white horse. But if a king was coming in peace, he rode a donkey. And so here they're looking for the warrior king, the one who's going to overthrow the Romans. But Jesus now comes with a statement right here. I am not the king you expect. I am the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I am not coming on a stallion, but I am coming on a donkey because I am coming to bring peace and love, not war. Do you know, historians have found out that as Jesus is coming through this gate, there was another procession coming in the other side of the city, which was Pilate on war horses and coming in with power and strength and taking control of the city because this was the most volatile time for them. They were worried. They had to control uh, the Jews during Passover with this 150,000 who have gathered there. And so as he's coming in this other side of the city on this valiant horse with all of his troops... Here is Jesus coming in through the opposite side of the city, not on a war horse, but a simple donkey, saying that I have come. I am the king, the long-anointed one of God, the Messiah, and I have come to open everyone's eyes that they might see. When the Pharisees asked Jesus, to tell the disciples to be quiet, Jesus said a very simple verse. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Jesus knew this celebration was appropriate as God's king was bringing God's salvation for all. Soon he would be at his own Passover, the lamb on that cross. And if they didn't praise him, praise would come from elsewhere. Praise would come from the rocks, if need be. You see, today, if we refuse to praise God, God will find the praise. If we don't give God the praise, he will find it other places, to our shame. I would think us who know the truth, and the truth has set us free, that we can do nothing but praise him. And give him. Now, I'm not saying we're all different personalities. We're all, some of us are more demonstrative than others. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about all of us have a praise. If you are in Christ, if you know him, if he has set you free, if your past is forgiven and you got a glorious hope and future, you have praise to share. Don't let COVID and a pandemic and the issues of life Take away your praise. It's interesting because this for me is the key point. Why did he say stones? They're an inanimate object. How do stones praise the Lord? 
And you know, Romans 8, 19 to 12 is a very uh, important passage. And it says, now listen, if you want to turn in your Bibles to it, Romans 8, verses 19 to 22, if you want to just look at that. I'll give you a second there for those that are doing that. It says, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. All of creation has been on the tippy toes of expectation, waiting for the anointed king, the Messiah, to come in and usher in his kingdom. Do you realize today as we wait for his return, as we long and hope for his return, his return is not just for me personally, his return is not just for us as brothers and sisters in Christ, his return is for all of creation who has been moaning and groaning and waiting for their redemption. As you move into the book of Revelation, you realize that there shall be a, and the word, the original word, a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. Because ever since the fall, no one has been able to deliver creation. The agony of death our earth, the cosmos, is in chains. We're bound. We're enslaved. Death seems to reign. All things perish. The animals become sick and die, and just as man does as well, and the heat of the sun burns and destroys. Rains and floods wipe out large areas of vegetation. Think of the dev devastation that hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes bring. We talk about global warming. Death seems to be everywhere we turn. God didn't create it that way. God had created it as a paradise, but the willful disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, were given an earthly kingdom to reign, to rule, but when they fell, the kingdom fell with them. And the curse didn't just become their curse, didn't just become our curse as their descendants, but the curse fell upon all the earth. Remember, part of the curse was that now that Adam would have to work the soil by what? By the sweat of his brow. I won't preach on this this year, but I've preached other times on it. Remember the curse of thorns. And what did Jesus wear as his crown? The crown of thorns. Our king has even swallowed up the curse that makes work a toil <laughs> instead of a blessing. That's a sidebar. And so all of creation 
is moaning and groaning and waiting for the one to arrive. We call that natural revelation that even out in the world around us, we can see God's beauty. We can see God. I've met some people who have come to faith because of seeing God's handiwork, right? There's, there's those times where you hear testimonies of people who saw God's handiwork and began to reach out for God and say, there's got to be a God in all of this beauty. And so we see, as I like what Brent Earle says, all of creation praises God. The stars are God's fingerprints. The sun is a mere smidgen of his radiance. The moon is to remind us that he doesn't sleep at night. The vastness of space proclaims the infinity of his wisdom. And while the sand pebble indicates his thoroughness, while with the puniest of details, you ever see sand under a microscope? The lion hints of his fearlessness. The bear at his power, the hawk of his keen insight, and yet those possess only a tidbit of God's omnipotence and omnipresence. Every tree points towards heaven, and every bird has a song to sing, and even every moment of wind goes in the same direction. There is nothing chaotic about our beautiful designed world. All creation has a message to tell. It says, listen to God. Listen to God. There is a God. End quote. So the truth this morning, as it was on that day, that if you won't praise him, all of creation praises him. All of creation waits for him and longs for him and for his return to our shame. Because we, as we've already talked about, were created at the end of God's creation back there in the beginning of Genesis. We were the climax of God's creation. We were the ones who were made in his image. We were the ones to have this personal relationship with him. We were the ones who have the choice between good and evil. We have the choice to worship him. We have the choice to praise him. And if we don't praise him, All of creation will to our shame. Jesus is the king. He is the king of kings and lord of lords of all creation. He is the hope of creation. And so our king was coming in that morning and he was riding to fight and free us, not from Rome, but from our sinful hearts. Our king was in the midst of a battle and he was crowned and he was lifted up on the cross so all may see him and be drawn to him. And the battle began and it was won when his blood began to flow. And the kingdom of God was established. And the people are redeemed. And the new Jerusalem shines brightly in the future that we keep walking towards as we wait for the return of our king. And right now, our king, in his humanity, sits at the right hand of the Father with all authority. And that's why we pray in the name of Jesus and in his authority, because he is our king. Tom Bernard writes, the crowd was clueless. 
They never got it right. They shouted praises. Jesus wept. They looked for a warrior king riding a white stallion. They got a carpenter riding a donkey. They wanted hype. They got a healer. They wanted a prophet. They got one who fulfilled all prophecy. They wanted a scepter. They got a savior. They got nothing they asked for or expected, but everything they needed. Only they never got it. They were clueless. Jesus was the only one there who really knew what was happening that day on that first Palm Sunday. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. My friends, it's so easy for us to become like those people in Jerusalem. We think we know what's always going on, but we really don't have a clue either. We've had a bad week, we blame God. Our kids act out, we blame the school. We'll work two jobs and try to make things better at home. Jesus shows up at our town and he wants to help us, but we don't even recognize that he's been knocking all along and right there. We think we impress him with our boats and our businesses and all the stuff we acquire. He's not impressed. There's only one thing he wants, and it's what he's always wanted, our hearts, our praise, our worship. He is our king today, and he is worthy of our praise. I end with this story. There was a woman missionary to China many years ago. She had contracted a deadly disease and was given up to die. She was so sick they had to quarantine her in her bunk, and so they couldn't bring in any medical help to her, and her, hope, her situation was hopeless. They had left her there to die. And as she's in pain and suffering, she continues to pray. She continues to plead with God, Oh God, help me. Oh God, heal me. She had seen many other people healed and had prayed for others to be healed, and now she was asking for God's healing. Then all of a sudden, in the midst of all of this suffering and pain and prayers, God showed her a vision. And it was a vision of an old-fashioned scale, much like you see up on the screen. It's kind of the ones that we see the statues of justice holding up. But this scale that she saw was heavily weighed on one side, down low, while the other side had nothing on it, and it was up in the air, empty. The scale was clearly out of balance. God, through his Holy Spirit in her dream, revealed to her that the side that was very weighed down was her prayers. She had certainly prayed for many and had continued to pray and was now praying, and there were lots of prayers. What was empty on the other side, the Holy Spirit revealed to her in that dream, was her praise. God told her that the praise side needed to be filled in order to bring her life back into proper balance. And so she stopped pleading for her healing and praying for her healing, and instead she started to praise God. 
She praised him for his greatness. She praised him for sending Jesus. She praised him for all of his benefits. She praised him for being her savior, her Lord, her healer, her provider, and for everything he had ever done in her life. At first, she was so weak that all she could do in her praise was whisper the prayers and the praises. So she continued to do nothing as she was laying there isolated but to praise God. And she worshiped God all day and all night. Surprisingly, she grew louder. They could hear her voice. And those that were standing outside her room thought, oh dear, it must be close. She's gone delirious with fever. (laughs) But they were quite surprised several days later when she walked out of her room totally healed. I want to tell you today there's power in praise. Now, Are you needing healing today? I'm needing healing today. Is praise going to heal me? No, we leave that with the Lord. But what we do know, that sometimes all of us need to look at our scale today, and I was thinking in particular because of what we've gone through in the pandemic, (laughs) I would honestly say, Lord, I think my prayers are a little heavier than my praise. And I want to praise you. I want praise to be part of my lips. I, keep, I had this vision again this week, and I was praying into it, that there are those in West Prince that are watching us to see how we react to what's going on in our lives. Do they hear us praise Jesus? Do they hear us, no matter what we're going through, that we give him the honor and the glory and the praise? That even when God doesn't work the way I expect and I don't get the answers to prayer I expect, and maybe the bottom is even falling out for me, I'm going to praise him anyway because he is worthy of my praise. And one day I will get to see him face to face, and I will get to praise him with that great kingdom of God as we enter into his kingdom together and we get to see our king face to face. But you know where do I get to practice that? Is right here. And so as we bring this to a close, as you come as we sing this song, I invite you to come today, and I know I'm going to put my stone right away because I've often said to you that as I preach these messages, I preach it to myself first, that I don't want the stones to have to praise his name to my shame. I want my life to be encircled and demonstrative of his praise for all that he's done for me, all that he is for me and all that he's going to do for me. And so as we sing this closing song, if that's you today as well, come and bring your stone and place it at the rock, the rocks that are there at the cross saying, Lord, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to continue to praise you. I'm going to leave this prayers and everything else that I've been praying. And today, my choice is to praise you. Lord, we pray now that you would help us and direct us in this time, Holy Spirit. This isn't really for what anyone else thinks or what they think we should be doing. This is about what you say to us, Holy Spirit, today. Help us to be obedient to your voice As Pastor Mike said earlier today, if we're not willing to be in a safe place and give praise in the house of the Lord, how are we going to do it out there? So now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would take control.
of the rest of this service as we sing this closing song. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Please stand with us.